listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. I mean, man, do we have a lot of news for you right ahead and this question. Do you need to drive faster? How fast are you driving right now? Coming up, Jeff Urich, and we have details about a possible increase in the speed limit on the 400 highways. Are you ready to drive faster? We're going to talk about that coming up. Plus, Joe Cressy is with us. Councillor Joe Cressy will join us to talk about the ongoing spat over public health. But I begin with some breaking news. And we have this first for you here on the radio program. And that is a response from the beer store to the Ontario government. I just want to set the table on this for you. You know, of course, that the Ford government is saying we are going to put beer and wine in corner stores. Well, of course, that may come with some cost because the province has a legal agreement that is binding for the next 10 years that says, no, no, the beer store has exclusive sales with the exception of the expansion to grocery stores that came into effect in 2015 under the Wynn government. So the PR battle is underway. The beer store just now releasing this letter that the the, uh, chair, pardon me, of the beer store has sent to the minister saying that, here, here's an analysis of... What's it going to cost? Well, first of all, what they say is retail beer prices are higher in Ontario than in Quebec because of taxes, not how beer is sold. So that whole thing about, well, how come I can go to Hall and get, you know, a a cheap 2-4 at the Costco, that has nothing to do with the way beer is sold. This according to the beer store. The average pre-tax price of a liter of beer in Ontario, $2.61. In Quebec... It's three bucks. This, according to calculations made by the beer store. Here's another one. The average pre-tax price of a liter of beer by province, Ontario, currently $2.83. In Alberta, $3.70. That is calculated using Alberta pricing. So you get a sense of what we have here. And why this is so important, this is more than just a back and forth, ladies and gentlemen, between the beer store and the province of Ontario. What is at stake here is not only your convenience to be able to go to the beer store or go to the corner store and get a beer, but how much is it going to cost us? It may be millions. There is some speculation it could be as much as a billion dollars in terms of the penalties we may have to pay to the beer store to break that agreement. The premier on this radio show last week saying that that was ludicrous, but saying that we are in negotiations. Interesting, interesting stuff. And you heard it here first. What else is going on? Well, this Jeff Urich uh, announcement this morning, you may have heard talking about transit uploads. But what he said at the very end of his press conference, I think will have more resonance for the resonance for the people listening to me now. I mean, if you're in Toronto, you're going to be interested in subway upward load. But what do you think when you hear the minister say this? The uh, 400 series highways uh, were built for, uh, I believe, a speed limit of 120 kilometers an hour safely. 120 kilometers an hour safely. And what the minister is saying is that the government is now going to consider or rather begin consultations with stakeholders 
about whether or not we should change the speed limits on any number of highways, but specifically the 400 series highways. If you've driven in Alberta, I just mentioned Alberta, of course, the, the main highway in Alberta is 120. That is the, the, if you're going between Edmonton and Calgary, for example, on the, I believe number two, if I recall my, my Edmonton days correctly. So why is it that we have a hundred kilometer here Nobody pays attention to the thing anyway. Nobody drives 100, and if you do, you're getting passed left, right, and center. Here's more of what the Minister of Transportation had to say about what he thinks the proper speed limit should be. Well, I haven't uh, discussed anything about our, what our speed limit would be, but uh, you know, we, we, we expect people to drive within the, the, the safety uh, of the roadway. That's why we have the speed limits uh, uh, where they're at, because we know how they're engineered to be safe. Uh, and we, we look upon our law enforcement uh, agencies to try to enforce that speed limit as best as possible uh, to maintain the safety in our roads. That is Jeff Yurick, the Minister of Transportation, uh, talking earlier this morning when being asked by reporters about what would he consider a safe and reasonable speed limit on the 400 series highways. I mean, is it is it reasonable to have it at 100 kilometers an hour? There has been a push by a number of small grassroots groups over the years to say, we got to raise this up to 120. Let's talk, let's, let's be honest about how fast we all drive. But then on the safety side, many people say, well, that is just going to cause more carnage. And here's the thing I know from living in Edmonton. When the thing says 120, you do 140. That, that is, I, maybe that's just my Ontario state of mind. Because I, you know, grew up here and it was like, well, whatever it's posted, I add 20 to it. But I'll tell you, in Alberta, everybody else does it too. So do you think, do you think, Doug Ford, that we should uh, be able to drive as fast as we want on the 400 series highways? Wake up, smell the coffee. All right. Well, he doesn't, I don't know. The whole point is that we're thinking about it. Coming up in the program as well, we're going to talk to uh, Jamie Marocker, who is at Billy Bishop uh, Airport, uh, keeping an eye on the situation on Lake Ontario. And we have uh, what is clearly a dangerous situation in cottage country. I'm going to update you on that, but also on the situation on Lake Ontario and what is coming our way. You'll remember a couple of years ago, high lake levels meant that they had to pretty much cancel the entire summer on Toronto Island. The amusement park was done. Rebecca, my producer, had to find alternate things for her kids to do because she had them booked into daycare there. And that, I mean, that is going to mess with some people's day. It's going to mess with some people's summer if that's what's coming. So Jamie Marocker is there. And then Joe Cressy is here as well. Uh, uh, Joe Cressy is here, uh, and he says... Doug Ford, Mr. Premier, uh, Joe Cressy, the Councillor of City of Toronto, says that your cuts are dangerous and just ill-advised. Talk about rich. Talk about ironic. Well, we're going to ask Joe Cressy about that when he comes. Uh, and also we have for him a, a little bit of music. Maybe we'll just we'll play this when Joe Cressy comes in. I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender. We keep our eye on the situation, the flooding situation north of the city in cottage country where things continue to be very, very bad. 
uh, Environment Canada issuing weather alerts, for, weather alerts, pardon me, for a swath of the province already dealing with a week of flooding. The Muskoka region, that of course includes Bracebridge and Huntsville, is under a rainfall warning up to 40 millimeters expected to fall in some areas. And the warning posted on Environment Canada's website notes that the ground already near saturation has little ability to absorb any further rainfall. Now, here in Toronto, the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority has issued a shoreline hazard warning for Lake Ontario, urging people in the GTA to use caution along the waterfront. Quote, all shorelines, rivers and streams within the GTA should be considered hazardous, unquote, the TRCA said in a statement late last night. Jamie Marocker is a global news reporter and is covering the situation for us. Uh, I believe you're at Billy Bishop. Jamie, are you on the Toronto side or on the island side? I'm actually standing a little bit close to the harbor, but I am on um, the Toronto side still. What are you seeing from where you are? Can you sense, at least from your perspective, a, a higher lake level? Definitely, because I was actually out here uh, not too long ago, a few days ago, um, and the lake level was significantly lower. Now it's actually coming over the boardwalk. So if you were to walk around, you want to make sure that you actually stay on the cement and not get down to that wood boardwalk because the lake is coming right up over it. Well, the TRCA statement uh, last night that I was referring to says that the water levels on Lake Ontario are already at the heights almost of 2017, mm-hmm. and they're expected to continue rising. Jamie, do we have a sense, if that does indeed happen, what the cost and what the impact will be? Well, obviously, we saw the impact back in 2017. So there is the concern that we could see a repeat of what we saw two years ago on Toronto Island. The good news is there are measures that were put in place all, all that time ago, two years ago, um, and the city and the islanders say that they are prepared. So they basically restructured some areas around Centre Island and Ward Island to mitigate that flooding. They've also brought in eight permanent sump pumps on the island, and they have sandbags and aqua dams at the ready. Do we have a sense that there's uh, sandbagging going on already? I, I believe I've seen some shots of Toronto residents, uh, island residents, already sandbagging. Yeah, they're preparing for that. There is some water that has come up over. You have to remember that this advisory that's in place right now is in place because you, not only on the island, but as I mentioned, um, across the boardwalk, we're starting to see the lake um, come up over certain areas, and that brings with it erosion. So the advisory that's in place right now is to not get close to any bodies of water because you could easily slip in or seeing waves possibly of up to two meters. And that means you could get easily carried away. And you have to remember, it's still quite cold out. You have that wind factor playing into effect. Um, And then on the flip side, because of that erosion, because the water is coming up higher, that does mean that residents are making sure they're prepared. We're not seeing the intense sandbagging that we saw two years ago but uh, they're making sure that they don't get into a situation that we were in in 2017. Jamie, help me with perspective here, because you well know, as do I, that the uh, TRCA, pardon me, puts out sort of, you know, these warnings, like stay away from swollen Mm -hmm. rivers and lakes. It's almost like two or three times a year, at least. Mm -hmm. So why is this different and why should I care now? Well, because of where we're sitting. So I'll give you kind of in the numbers game. Usually, Lake Ontario is sitting close to 74 meters above sea level at this time of year. However, we've risen to 75.5 
back in 2017 when we saw those floods, we were at 75.6. So we're only 50 centimeters away from being at the point where we were at last year. The reason they put this into place is because we haven't even hit the peak time for um, the bodies of water, like Lake Ontario, to be their fullest. That is actually supposed to happen in May or June. And if we're already only 50 centimeters away from where we were in 2017, there's a good chance that we will get to that number or pass and see flooding. Jamie, just a couple of quick questions for our audience about being a journalist and being a reporter. Do you carry gum boots or waders with you in your car? <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. Okay, I love this question. Because I had the same rain boots, so wellies. I had the same wellies for the last, I don't know, 12 years, and they were from Walmart, and I think I got them at Value Village, but they were Walmart brand. I went out, because I've seen all this flooding lately, and I kept getting put on flood stories. I went out on um, Sunday, I think it was, and I bought myself a sturdy pair, like a, a $200 pair Whoa. of gumboots. I know. <laughs> and you know what? My feet have never been so thankful. Well, I was I... so happy today. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad to hear that your feet are warm and dry. They are. All right, thank you. That's Jamie Barocker, who's a global news reporter, and you can see part of uh, Jamie's report on the situation on the island tonight, beginning at 5.30 on television. And thank you again, Jamie. No problem. I want to move on now to what happened yesterday on the program. And if you were listening, you heard the Minister of Health here. And since that time, the things that she said on this radio program have resonated, and so has the rhetoric on both sides. It has escalated over the dispute about public funding. Some of it began with Councillor Joe Cressy, who began his complaints about the funding model changes by saying it would end up costing lives. The province has fired back. The mayor has fired lawyers. Fired. I'm sure he's fired lawyers, but I'm not. That's what I'm not talking. About. He's fired off letters. So has the premier. Back and forth it goes. To talk about this, I'm joined now on the line by Toronto Councillor Joe Cressy. It's good to be here, Al. Councillor, uh, the Minister of Health was on this program yesterday and seriously went after you to say that uh, your rhetoric is, has inflamed the situation, has not helped, and, and quite frankly, that you're spending money on non-public health things. Well, Councillor Cressy wants to believe that there's enough money to do everything that, uh, that is, he wants to do um, under the name of public health, whether it is or it isn't. The reality of the situation is such that choices have to be made and priorities need to be kept. Your reaction? Well, I'll, I'll just respond with facts to the conjecture there. Toronto Public Health provides services in every neighborhood and every community in the city. Services like 212 breakfast programs for kids, immunizations where we provide vaccines in schools, 20,000 kids every year, dental checks for kids aged 4 to 12, in fact, more than 200,000 of them every year. That's what we do. And we keep Torontonians safe and we prevent the diseases like SARS from coming tomorrow. That's simply a fact. And that's why I'm so disappointed, just like Mayor Tory, that this provincial government is proceeding with cuts, not just to Toronto, 
but public health units across the province. Councillor, the minister pointed out uh, yesterday during our interview that you also spend money on things like public health awareness. In other words, saying public health is good, and that is wasted money. She points out things that you are spending money on that are non-core issues. So here's the facts related to our spending at Toronto Public Health. 91% of all of our spending goes directly towards program delivery, programs like vaccines and breakfast programs for kids. 9% of our funds go towards finance administration and health promotion. Health promotion, what is that? Well, what health promotion is, for example, when we have heat waves, we have cooling centers for people who live in apartment buildings but don't have air conditioning. So we make people aware of those cooling centers. Uh, work related to safe streets and Count- designing Councilor, I put that on the air on the news for free. Why are we spending taxpayer dollars on it? So last year, uh, we had 3,400, 3,400 apartment buildings in the city of Toronto that don't have air conditioning. Meanwhile, we saw temperatures, including in the off-season, when the heat was still on in the buildings, going forward in excess of 35 degrees. It's become a health hazard. And so the reason you have something like public health promotion, which I would note the province cost shares those funding because the province believes in it. The reason we do that is because we utilize every avenue, radio programs like this certainly to help with it, but also for those tenants in those buildings who don't listen to the radio or this station, we distribute leaflets to let them know if they're a senior, they're in a room that's over 35 degrees Celsius without AC, that there is a cooling center downstairs or down the street. I think a lot of people would say that is not core funding. That is money that you could spend elsewhere. And then the other point, I will just move on to what the Premier said in the House today, which is that uh, under the current administration, under the current mayor, you haven't found a single penny of efficiencies, that this is an incredibly small amount of money, and you guys need to work a little better when it comes to tax dollars. So let's walk through what the dollars are, because I think when we talk about spending money wisely, it's an incredibly important point. The dollars are the following. Uh, Prior to SARS and Walkerton, municipalities like Toronto were funded 50% by the province and 50% by the cities. The province since SARS and Walkerton changed that spending because when you spend less on public health, you end up getting more spending in hallway healthcare because people don't prevent the diseases. That person didn't go down to the cooling room and instead ended up in the hospital. And so the best investment to wisely manage tax dollars is in public health. Every dollar you put into tobacco prevention prevents $20 in healthcare costs. Somebody doesn't get lung cancer. Every dollar you put into vaccines saves $16 in healthcare costs. And every expert from the Ontario nurses to Ontario doctors to 28 mayors of the largest cities in Ontario have all said the same thing. The only people who are saying otherwise at the moment are the premier and the minister. And it's time for them to listen to the experts, listen to those who have been doing this work and believe in our public health care system for a long time and reverse these cuts. Joe Cressy is a Toronto City Councillor. Thank you so much for joining us on the line, Councillor. Thank you, Al. And this uh, story continues to reverberate, and this continues to be the radio program where you hear the decision makers and you hear the people at the front lines of this story. 
Yesterday it was the Minister of Health, today the Counselor, and in the past, of course, we've had the Premier on this radio program, so thank you to all of them for being with us. You know, in a months-long investigation, Global News spoke with dozens of communities, and what it found about Canada's recycling industry is dire. Recycling is being sent to landfills, more of it every day, fewer items are being accepted in the blue bin, and the financial toll of running these programs is becoming a major burden for some municipalities. After China stopped accepting much of the world's recycling at the beginning of 2018, the market was flooded with product. Now we have a dwindling number of buyers who are left demanding only the highest quality material at a fraction of the previous cost, and that has significant impacts on what we recycle here in this country. For example, if we were talking about aluminum, and that is something that is extremely valuable in, a, in recycling. Aluminum is valuable, folks. Last year at this time, it sold for about $1,900 a ton. This year, it's down to close to $1,300 a ton. And that is putting an amazing pressure on all of this product. Where does it go? And what do municipalities do with it now, now that it is no longer so valuable? But there is some hope. And that hope might be coming from British Columbia. I'm pleased to welcome to the program Carolyn Jarvis, Global News Chief Investigative Correspondent, who has been looking into this and has another part to her series coming up. Carolyn, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Alan. So what did you find in British Columbia? Well, BC is bucking the trend. They have a completely different approach to recycling than anywhere else in the country. They have a model that's called, here's a fancy term for you, extended producer responsibility. What does that mean? It means that the entire recycling ecosystem, from collection at the curb to processing to moving it through, say, a plastics plant, is paid for 100% and managed 100% by the people who make those products by the, what's called the producer. So if you work in BC and you make a product, you sell a product, or you import a product, you have to pay for the recycling of that product. So we're talking companies like Boston Pizza, Apple Canada, Loblaw, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, giant corporations are paying for the entire recycling system in British Columbia. This sounds like a carbon tax to me. <laughs> no, but seriously, because somebody's paying this. I mean, you know what? Boston Pizza, it's passing that on. That pie you just bought is more sure. expensive. Sure, but what happens is is that we're talking cents on the dollar, so say people behind the scenes, as opposed to a municipality that's going to have to worry a piecemeal about where its end markets are for a package of mixed paper and figure out who in China or who in Malaysia or who in Taiwan might buy it one day a week over the next. 
when you can get all of these people working together in synchronicity, they finally have market leverage and they can open up new manufacturing streams and get things actually recycled en masse. So the buying power and the manufacturing power that they have working as one in unison, and BC, it's 1,300 companies working together, has shifted the paradigm there. So recycling rates in BC are the highest of any recorded in the country. They are collecting more items in the blue bin, whereas many parts of the country are accepting fewer. Um, And they were more insulated from the blowback from when China and other Asian markets shut their doors than other parts of the country. In fact, their model is so successful that there is a cry being echoed right across the country for other provinces, including Ontario, to adopt this model and do it yesterday. Carolyn Jarvis is Global News Chief Investigative Correspondent. Fascinating series, Carolyn, and you can read that online on globalnews.ca. You can see it on Global National. I'm sure, is it written in the sky? Where? where what other platforms do we have that on? Radio, of course. Oh, right. Radio, of course. <laughs> I'm sure. You know what? Let's, let's put it in a podcast and then we can market it to millennials because they'd have no idea what this radio thing is. But they are recycling. I'll give them. Oh, a- isn't that lovely? Thank you, millennials. Carolyn, appreciate you being on the program. Thanks, Alex. Oh, I love trash. Well, let's move on to our next trashy story. And for that, Mike Drolet, who is with Global National. And Mike, why can't I not get a robot to separate my garbage? Because you're calling me trash, that's why. I trashy, my friend, trashy. Oh, trashy, trashy. Okay, that's acceptable. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because there is a robot that actually does that. It'll tell you what to do. There's a company called Intuitive AI based out of Vancouver, which has started a pilot project at the Vancouver airport over top of the garbage bins. And you walk up with your coffee cup, whatever it is, and it'll tell you, hey, put it in here, and it'll show you where to put it. And if you have a straw in there, it'll tell you to pull the straw out and put it in another bin, which goes into landfill. Uh, and uh, it, so it just it's a way of streamlining the, the whole you know, garbage process. It's, it's really kind of smart because, you know, you think about it, you're like, well, how, why would you need AI for that? artificial intelligence to be able to tell you where to put your garbage. Well, because we're not very good at it. And uh, they found in, their, in the, the opening sort of weeks and months that they've used this product, that they've had this there, that it's four times more efficient than humans at ter- in terms of uh, sorting garbage. So it's uh, just one of the new, uh, new companies that is up and running in Canada uh, to try to take advantage of this, uh, this AI uh, push. So th- this is a pilot project, and of course, if it's a, of course it's in British Columbia. Of course. Of course it is. Of course it and, is. Uh, and it's going to be in, now that they're doing it there and they're showing it successful, they're going to try to roll it out in malls and stores, et cetera, et cetera. A- any kind of indication that this might have a home uh, application down the, the line? Because I really think about this. We've had the head of uh, Toronto Recycling on here, and she actually said to us, you know, sometimes I have to call my staff to find out if I can put this thing in the recycling. This is the woman in charge. So how come I can't have something like that in my house that says, hey, dope, uh, the black plastic, that does not go in the recycling? Well, first off, I'm sure it would call you worse things than dope. <laughs> but, uh, but Hey, secondly, dude, 2019, it's legal. <laughs> yes, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, but secondly, you know what? I mean, who's to say it won't? I mean, you, you, we never thought that we'd have maps on our phones, and look at us now. I mean, the way that, that AI is going, it's, it is going at such a tremendous pace that we can't even keep up with it. I spoke to with, I interviewed this uh, robotics company, this uh, CEO of a robotics company a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, he goes, you know, the robots we're making today, we couldn't even conceive them four years ago. 
Mike Drolet. That's how fast it's going. Mike, uh, I understand this. this uh, you have a piece on this coming up. When, do, when can we see it? Well, we've done a series on artificial intelligence uh, that's going to air next week, Monday to Wednesday. Uh, it's leading into really this uh, this massive conference that's going to be coming to Toronto called Collision uh, on May 20th to 23rd. There's about 25,000 of the top tech minds in the in the world are going to be here, and it's it's no real secret why because Toronto has become the Toronto Waterloo Corridor has become one of the biggest hubs for uh, artificial intelligence and gro- and tech growth in the world. Um, people are we, it, back in the early 2000s. Every computer science PhD we produced moved away from the country, every single one. And yet now they're staying here, and people are. It, it's the entire mindset has changed. It's the- There's another company that is that actually is based in San Francisco, but now it's it's half based in Toronto. Why? Because they couldn't lure people from Canada to go down to Silicon Valley. They didn't want to move there anymore. Mike Drolet is a reporter, Toronto correspondent with Global National. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Alan. I got to get out of here. I got to go do my other job. I'm a TV anchor man, so I got to go get the old makeup on, slap that on. Uh, and then I'm on uh, the old TV at 530. Uh, the last word goes to our premier. Uh, when you listen to this program, what, what do you think? Talk about rich. Talk about ironic.